King Jesus, would you open your law that we might behold wondrous things therein. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. We just read an amazing story about King David wanting to build a house for God. This is a culmination of David's reign. We've been following the life of David in the lectionary for the past couple of weeks. Um, But it's impossible to understand Scripture, to understand the Bible, unless you actually understand the word covenant. We have the word covenant used in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We saw that in the psalm that was appointed for today, and we see that in the book of Ephesians that we saw about how we, who were far from God, were strangers to the covenant. But covenant is a word that many of us may not get. One of the things that I love, um, love doing when I first became a minister was um, doing marriage prep. And one of the things that I would do is we would take them through the vows. Um, and we would look at the vows in the prayer book. And by that I mean the 1662 prayer book. Because um, that's what, the one we use on the other side of the pond. But I love this part of the vows. These vows were not written in English until 1549. I take thee to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, us depart according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I pledge thee my troth. I pledge thee my troth. You don't hear those words often anymore, do you, in the marriage vows? I pledge thee my troth. But what we see here is that troth, covenant, this solemn and loyal promise from God does three things for us. One, it builds a house. Two, it, it leads us into a tent. And then it finally builds a temple, a house. You see, we approach this story of David in Samuel, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where Samuel, where David has, has finally, after many, many years, nearly 40 years of reign, has finally brought peace and rest to the people of Israel. They're no longer being bombarded and, and, and harassed by all the other surrounding kingdoms. And so now that there's this little bit of lull and peace, David goes to Nathan the prophet and he says, you know what? I'm living in this amazing house with paneled walls of cedar. And if you've ever been to anything that's full of cedar, it's beautiful. My wife has this this chest, uh, this chest of drawers that she had before we got married. And it's paneled with cedar. It smells amazing. Um, And it's fragrant. David lived in this fragrant, beautiful wooden palace. And yet he says, but God is living in a tent. He says, I I just don't think it's right that God should live in a tent. I want to build him an amazing house. Now, here in in the West, we we think that we have this basic idea that all religions are basically the same. And you see, here's the thing about a house. All other surrounding kings did similar stuff to what David just offered to Nathan. In fact, you might want to think of this as the first light legacy love 1.0. You see, have you ever thought about that you have this amazing donor that comes to you as a priest or as a pastor? And um, your donor comes to you and says, you know what, Nathan, I want to build you an amazing new cathedral, the Cathedral of Shiloh. Well, let's move from Shiloh to Jerusalem. And uh, of course, you got this amazing donor. Why wouldn't you accept the donation and build this thing? But in the story, Nathan 
has to think about it. And Nathan says, you know what? God actually has your best interest in mind here. He wants to transform you. He wants to build you a house, not the other way around. You see, every other surrounding culture, every other worldview, every other religion in that time did very similar stuff to this. In fact, you can look at the story of Thutmose III, who was the, the pharaoh of Egypt. Um, he actually ascends to the throne. His, um, step, his mother, Hatshepsut, is, is vice regent with him for a while. But when he comes to power, he goes to the priests of Amun-Ra, and he says, he says, I will build a temple for Amun-Ra if Amun-Ra promises to build me a house forever. You think about that. We have the house of David. He wants the house of Thutmose. We have the house of Windsor. We all want a name for ourselves. But Nathan won't allow that. God will not allow that for David. Because you see, that's the difference between covenant, a troth, and a contract. We're in the middle of a building project next door. And uh, we've already got the drywall up, which is really amazing. Um, But before we started doing the construction, guess what? You can bet that Anne and Dean Reggie, who it's his birthday today, by the way, um, and um, our, our canon chancellor, uh, poured over that contract. Because you see, the difference between a covenant and a contract is that a contract basically talks about what you are legally obligated. A covenant is unbreakable, and it is actually a stunning blend of law and love. Think about those covenant words that are used throughout the Bible. You could sum up the Old and New Covenant using these words, which appear throughout the Bible. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God wants to build you a house. You see, here's the thing. David wants to build God a house, and God says, no, 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 no. Here's the application for you, David. If I let you do this, if I let you get away with that, here's what you can have. You can have a house, and you can, you can be full of yourself, David, or you can be full of me. By, by, if you build a house, you'll become puffed up, you'll become arrogant, you'll think, I did this all myself. But God says, no, I'm going to build that house for you. And look at that in the story. It says, David, you used to follow sheep around, but now you're leading men and women. And it's all because of grace. Nothing that you've done, nothing that you did to earn this, it's unmerited favor. I'll build you a house. But the second thing that we find about covenant is that covenant leads us into a tent, into a tabernacle, if you will. uh, John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. You see, God says to David through Nathan, I didn't ask you to build me a house. I never asked you to do that. In fact, ever since you were wandering in the desert of Egypt, I have been wandering too. I am the wandering God. If you have been homeless, I have been homeless. And that brings to mind the the words that Jesus told his disciples. He says, foxes have holes and birds have their nest, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You see, the the omnipotent, the omniscient God of the universe who created everything and the earth is his and the fullness thereof leaves heaven 
and becomes homeless. He gives up everything so that we might have a home. That's the beauty of this. I remember um, in England, we were doing a fresh expression church plant on the ring road of of London, and we had this 70-acre farm where we were planting a a church. It was a 16th century farm. The farm was decrepit and falling down. You couldn't work or live in it. So while that house was being built, we pitched a, a tent. Um, and this tent was a new circus tent. It was amazing. It had these beautiful steel um, uh, strings that held all the, all the poles up. But even after less than a year of all the rain and, and outside weather, the tent started to grow mildew. Can you picture this? David is living in a house paneled with cedar. And yet it's been probably 300 years since God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, and God is still living in a tent in Shiloh that has mildew, because God is saying, actually, I'm more interested in in dwelling inside you than dwelling in a tent or a building. I want you to be my habitation. You see, that is the beauty of the incarnation. The way that this comes poignant to me reminds me of a story in Henry V, where you have these two different kings contrasted. You have the king of France, who right before the Battle of Agincourt is in this sumptuous tent with lots of food and drink being brought to all the nobles of France. And King Henry is visiting his troops. And he has a small little meager tent that he brought across the English Channel. And he offers that to his no- one of his nobles, Sir Thomas Erpingham, one of the oldest men, gray-haired, uh, fragile man who's followed his king across the sea. And Sir Thomas Erpingham refuses to take the tent. And he says, no, I want to lay on the ground. And when all the other nobles and King Henry look at him, they say, why are you doing this? Sir Thomas Erpingham replies, for now lay I like a king. You see, when you understand covenant, that God has inextricably bound himself to you by loyal love, unconditionally, and that's what I love about this story in, in both the book, in both the psalm that we read today and in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It says that, David, I'm, I'm not going to let you build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And guess what? Your house is going to go on forever. And your descendant will be my son. I'm going to adopt him. I'm going to make him one of my family. God wants to make his dwelling with us. That's what covenant does. But the third thing covenant does is this, is it builds a temple. Not a temple built by human hands. You see, temples, we don't have those many temples nowadays. There's, there's a few. But here in the West, we're, we're not so well-versed with that. In the ancient time, temples were where heaven met earth. Two very different things meet each other. Temples were the, it tells us that we were strangers to the covenant, but But Christ in his body, in his flesh, has made the two one. Not just Jew and Gentile. Not just two people groups who are different. But actually, heaven and earth are made one in Jesus Christ. For he is the living temple. I remember when I was studying Portuguese in college. I was studying Brazilian Portuguese. And I was studying about... um, 
some of the amazing things that you can find in Brazil. There's, this, there's these two amazing rivers that you find. One's called the, the, the River Solimões, and one's called the, the River Negro. The, the, the Rio Solimões um, comes from the Andes Mountains, and it has all this beautiful brown silt in it. And then it meets the Rio Negro, the, 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 the Black River, if you will. And that one's black because of all the rich soil that you get from the Amazon jungle. And they meet at this little place, or this, at the city called Manaus. And if you look at the, the photographs of NASA, where those two rivers meet, they then continue together for another six miles with this beautiful black silt and this gorgeous tan brown water. And the waters meet, but they don't mix because the, their, their chemical consistency is so different, the temperatures are so different, that even when they meet, they continue to, they'll travel together, but they're not the same. And then about eight, eight miles later, these two rivers combine, and it's beautiful, because you can see the pictures, but it's even more stunning when you're in a boat, and you can travel down that boat, and you see these two rivers. It is stunning. But then, they hit these white water stones, and the stones start churning up all the river. Something outside of those two rivers happen. Something external, something supernatural, or outside of the nature of those two waters happens. And they mix, and they become the most famous river in all the world, the Amazon River. You see, John Chrysostom, St. Chrysostom put it this way, he says, there is a river which makes glad, makes glad the people of God. We all have access to God through the same Spirit, St. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. He has made the two one. And you see, when the Spirit of God meets the Spirit of man, something new is birthed in you and I, something unique, something different. And I love that because, you see, St. Paul could have used, he could have used one word to say he's made a new humanity. He could have used the word neos in, 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 in Greek, but he chose to use a different word. He, he chose to use the word kaine. You see, neos means fresh. It means new. The word kaine is the same word that we use to talk about the New Testament. That kind of new is remarkable one of a kind, never ever seen before. When the Spirit of God and your spirit meet, something new is birthed in you and in those around you and in God's world. He's in the business of renewing creation. God's kingdom comes because of the covenant. I will be their God and they will be my people. You see, Jesus, in the Gospel, Matthew tells us, well, it's, sometimes it's so easy to miss in the Gospel. We keep reading week after week that Jesus is healing people and he's opening blind eyes. But the power of the Spirit does this. It brings that kingdom, that paradise that we lost, that home that we lost, Jesus Christ becomes homeless so that he might take up residence in you and I. By the power of his spirit, he wants to open blind eyes. 
He wants to heal the sick. He wants to cleanse the leper. He wants to cast out demons. And he wants, to, he wants you to speak a new language of love for the world, to transform this world where these two rivers meet, making the two one, a new temple. And it's not something artificial because, you see, Paul says that in his body, Jesus Christ made the two one. And there's an artificial way of putting things together. You can come up with systems. You can come up with ideas. You can come up with, with, with doctrines and policies. But you see, that's artificial. You can artificially make things come together. Jesus' body did artificially bring two different people groups together. You had Pilate and Herod. You had a Roman procurator and you had a Idumean tetrarch come together. You had a half Jew and you had a Roman come together artificially due to Jesus' body. You can come to this very building artificially and do it out of tradition. We can all do that. But Jesus Christ, by the power of his spirit, wants to birth new life in you and me. That is why Jesus says to Nicodemus, a leader of the Pharisees, a religious teacher, the dean of the cathedral, no, the dean of the synagogue in Capernaum, he says, you, you must be born anew. You must be born from above. God wants his spirit and our spirits to collide in order to bring new life. Father, I thank you that through your covenant, your covenant, you became homeless that you might take up residence in us. I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would make yourself known to us in the breaking of the bread, in the sharing of life, and in the living of your love towards others. We ask this all in Christ's precious name. Amen.